Hello, everyone, and welcome to another European VC podcast. I am David, and as you know, I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Andreas. Today, we have Andre Bartos with us. Andre is a founding GP at Credo Ventures, a 75 million euro seed stage venture fund in Prague and a bit elsewhere to back Central Eastern European tech startups, of course, with a global ambition and kick-ass teams. Credo are investing out of Fund 4 with a total of 250 million euros in AUM and an established portfolio of 60 companies or so and notable investments, including, well, the famed UiPath that you all know, Product Board, PriceFX, Resistant AI, and Eleven Labs, among many others. And now, some words from our beloved sponsor. Appiday is the leading all-in-one ESG platform for GPs. Central to Appiday's philosophy is that ESG for your portfolio companies must be relevant and value-adding, making you a partner to your companies, not adding more reporting burdens. Appiday offers AI-led ESG reporting, full SFDR compliance, including disclosure templates, EU taxonomy, carbon accounting, due diligence assessments, and most importantly, tangible tools to help your companies like ESG resources and policy templates. See why over 1,000 portfolio companies leading Article 9 funds and $100 billion of AUM trust Appiday to manage ESG and sustainability across their ecosystem. Take a free product tour at appiday.com or book a no obligations ESG VC strategy session with one of their experts. If you're listening in and love our show, do drop us a review, follow the pod and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values. values. United and determined. We can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. So, Andre, before I ask you to tell us about your journey into venture, I want to just settle a dispute. And it's not but one between David and me, but between many in the ecosystem. Credo or Credo? <laughs> okay. So, hi, guys. Um, <laughs> I'm buying time. I don't know. Like, both count. It's a similar question as whether it's Andre or Ondrach. I actually answered to both. And uh, <laughs> similarly, credo or credo answers to both. How would you say it in Czech, though? Well, it's not a Czech name, but... Uh, yeah, right. It's Latin, right? It's kind of Latin. We thought it was just a cute name to, to have. I think we started with credo mostly, and now we settled at credo. We might go back to credo. It's, you know. But that's that's very smart of you. It's like you can just revamp your brand identity with new colors and stuff <laughs> and also change how you pronounce it. I like that. I say Credo because I was such an Assassin's Creed uh, fanboy when I was younger and I just remember that game every time I think about your fun. It's not a bad association in my brain, at, at least. <laughs> Good to know, David. With that said, now, Andre, please tell us your story about how you got into venture. I got into venture a long time ago. and. Actually, so I've been a VC for over 18 years now, but the story started earlier than that. I think the first time 
I heard the term was in the late 90s. And then I got closer um, during the dot-com bubble when I was a part of a movement called First Tuesday that nobody um, remembers anymore. But it was it was like a series of networking events and sort of an ecosystem builder, early ecosystem builder. I got very interested and fascinated by the world of venture. So I was reading, you know, books and I was following blogs and uh, I was following especially the US and UK scenes. And, you know, eventually I became a VC in 2005 when I started my cooperation with, uh, with MCI, which was a Polish uh, venture fund. And Andre, you have a very non-Polish nor Pragian uh, <laughs> uh, way of talking, meaning you sound very U.S. Do you have a U.S. background as well, just for our audience? I do not have a U.S. background. I think it comes down to watching too many Friends episodes. You've been in deep mourning the last couple of days then. Yeah, I've been sad, yeah. We've been, uh, we, we were uh, to the audience, we were recording this uh, shortly after uh, the, w w what is Chandler Bing's real name? I can't remember. Matthew Perry. Yes, Matthew Perry. Yes. So I disrespected. Okay, Andreas, the real name is Chandler Bing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> second personality. Yes, that's, that's probably it. All right. Amazing. Now, Andre, I want to take us into asking you about your pivotal moment in your life and how it has shaped you as, as an investor. And maybe this is even Credo's life because I think the two of you are just as intertwined almost as Chandler Bing and Matthew Perry. As we've already learned, one of my pivotal moments was when I discovered friends. In such a long career, I, I can think of many pivotal moments, like almost indefinite number. But I guess I can mention a couple. I think one is definitely around ambition and that one would be connected with uh, Abbas, one of the first big success stories um, coming out of this region. I've been friends with Abbas founders for a long time, um, all the way from like the 90s. And like the pivotal moment was when I realized how successful Abbas actually became when they acquired um, AVG, you know, became a multi-billion dollar company and they achieved it, you know, from their Prague office, from their Prague, you know, dark den of an office. And it was pivotal because I, you know, I saw it was possible. I, I saw it in reality that it is possible to build amazing companies from Prague, not Silicon Valley, not the US, not the UK, but Prague. Another pivotal moment I'm sure was my first unsuccessful investment. Um, the one that failed completely and uh, was a hundred percent write-off just because it helped me sort of shape my, 
relationship to risk and it taught me how to you know accept failure is very important in venture and then like more recently our investment in the UiPath and uh, and the success that followed was definitely pivotal for both me and credo also for the whole C region and Romania it was just pivotal on on many many fronts i couldn't put it better i think it was and even for the way people look at the region right now andre i'd love to take us to the take a stand section take a stand Andre, I'd love to ask you to comment on the following uh, statement by Sean O'Sullivan from SOSV. Entrepreneurship, it's a blood sport. The founders are constantly battling in the arena uh, and, and ultimately the majority of them are not going to be successful. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like, I mean, I started as an entrepreneur myself. I, I never made it big. I never had any notable success as an entrepreneur but i did go through it and i did spend those several years of hustle and roller coaster of a ride and sweat and blood i i think when i was just trying to make things work and i was pulling all nighters and you know 120 hour work weeks uh, with you know mixed results sometimes you know a little bit of success sometimes a complete failure so i i i think this is correct and i i went through it i remember it and i think it actually makes me a better vc i i believe the fact that i've been through it and you know yes i i never built anything close to a unicorn but i do remember the the tough beginnings so i can relate can i ask you andre and we had a conversation about this at how to web at the q and a stage because we were talking to 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 a couple of emerging managers there so i want to ask you and it might be slightly more controversial than answering yes yes being an entrepreneur is a blood sport how about venture being a vc is that a blood sport oh yeah <laughs> yeah at the end of the day it's a lot less sexy than it appears it's it's a lot more of hard work and less of cool parties than you know what it appears it's a tough business like it's a it's a business with incredibly long feedback loop so you know for for most people you know it's just painful because you don't see the results and a year passes by and five years pass by and you know you still are not the you know Michael Moritz or the super successful you know flashy person you still kind of struggle and you're still not sure if if this gamble will 
pay off or not. So I, I'd say totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought when I asked the question that there's two sides to this, there's that one that you just touched on now. And there's, then there's also another side, which is collaboration versus competition VCs amongst. And I think we tend to try and say that we're all collaborative and we, we high five when we meet at events and we even hug, I think, <laughs> many of us. But in the end, there's also competition between firms. And especially, I think, if you're a smaller firm and less successful firm, you might not see it as much as someone like in your position, because I think people that would try and get money from you would also try and get money from Seedcamp or from Early Bird. And you're all three big boys <laughs> um, and you're very successful. So I'd love to ask you that relationship be between VCs and maybe especially the tier one VCs um, of seed stage investing in, in, in Europe. How do you see that and how do you navigate and how do you think about it? Well, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, you, you know your stuff. It is, it can get pretty competitive, especially on the deals that are considered hot, right? Or deals in what's currently considered hot space. We've been in competitive situations with both Seedcamp and Early Bird and with a hundred others, out of which I guess, I don't know what you guys consider tier one, but you know, with tier ones as well. And sometimes we won, sometimes we lost. I'd say, no, I'm not going to do stats for you. Um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we lost, sometimes we won. I personally try not to get too passionate when it comes to, you know, competitive situations. I, at the end of the day, even some of the hottest, you know, deals turned out badly and some of the completely cold deals turned out great so you know i i usually try to calm everybody down and and get more to you know the collaborative mode or if that's not possible then you know try to be a bit fatalist there we actually lost the deal last week in a in a very competitive process but um you know, hey, it's not a success until it exits. Um, that's that's the important. I feel like some of, especially like the emerging VCs out there, are spending way too much energy and sort of mental capacity on, you know, fighting for getting into deals as opposed to then helping the companies and you know, leading or guiding them towards successful exits. Writing a check is the easy part, right? It's, yeah, you, you wrote a check, but then what now? Do you think it's also kind of because of the way just venture works, you know, such long feedback cycles and for an emerging VC, like first fund or second fund, like the best proxy that that's kind of available there, aside from their own like past track record, of course, is, well, we are in this deal and these big names are also joining or joined after or whatever, right? You think it's just kind of a byproduct of the way the industry works? I think so. I think it is a byproduct. How do you navigate that with, with your less uh, senior 
team members? Because you're saying you try to always put ice on the, whatever the expression is in English, I can't remember now, uh, because, you know, people get passionate and excited. Oh, fuck, we lost that deal, man, you know? Well, I mean, as, as I said, I'm, I'm trying to cool everybody down. How exactly? Like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you know, people get so passionate and, and excited about a deal that, that it is almost impossible to cool them off. But, you know, that's, that's life. I'm sorry for using this phrasing, but did hitting it big with your iPad change anything in how you think and act as an investor when it comes to this rivalry around deals? Some, some people would say, well, it was transformative once I made the money that I need to make. Since then, my outlook on life and how I work with others have changed. I'm pretty sure it, it did change me in, in many ways. To be quite honest here, I haven't spent much time you know, self-reflecting on you know, what exactly has changed and, and how. If you mean that I might have become less hungry... How dare you, Andrea? <laughs> I mean, that I'm wiser than... Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, it's definitely changed me. So in this context, you know, in UiPath, I have seen many very competitive hot rounds, which... I had the luxury of not having to fight for because those were series B, C, D, E. I don't even remember um, where it stopped. But uh, pretty much all of the investment rounds um, after seed and extension, which we did, all of the follow-ons were super competitive. So, So I could make my popcorn and sit and watch all the big brands and tier ones fight to, to get in. And so I guess this alone has changed the perspective a little bit. How do you think then, because knowing that this is the trajectory of a portfolio company that really shows the right metrics and having seen that yourself, how does that change how you think about communicating around your portfolio publicly? Because I, I, I run around calling myself the LP hype man, right? So I hype everyone up and there's typically room in, the, in, in, in a GP investment or in an LP investment. So for that reason, it's not a big problem for me. But if you have someone hitting the, the stride like UiPath, you're maybe not in a rush to invite everyone in by also letting the world know that they're doing amazing. I have two perspectives on this. One is I have never personally, I have never been much of a hype man myself. I've, you know, ever since our first fundraising or fundraising of fund one, I've been more on the side of, you know, guys, this is huge risk, you know, think twice. I, I'm not sure you want to do this. Like, you know, we might lose it all, like actually lose it all. So I'm, I'm always more on the side of trying to manage the expectations and, you know, be on the 
cool, cold side rather than hot. My second reaction is we at Credo, um, and I think I can I can speak for Credo as a as a firm, are very founder centric in many many ways. We started as a founder centric, founder friendly VC firm, and we've always tried being one. And a part of that is also that we are we are pretty much leaving this up to the founders to decide. Um, Daniel at UiPath was a very transparent person. So he shared the metrics with just about anyone um, on the way. And, you know, he just believes that he can always sort of outperform the expectations and forecasts and everything, and he did. There are other founders in our portfolio that are very secretive about, you know, the performance numbers, and we completely respect that. We, you know, we try to guide them. We try to, you know, being the sounding board, and we tell them advantages and disadvantages of both approaches, but we never are the drivers for hyping something up. I guess this is uh, the Eastern Europeans in us. <laughs> yeah, instead instead of being the LP hype man, you can be the, the GP icebringer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that. <laughs> Like, you like it? Okay, it's called, cool. It's called Waterboy, isn't it? It's now Waterboy. <laughs> Please don't. Andre, one final question on the note of competitive rivalry. Do you ever see dirty tricks being played? And if so, can you speak to them saying what are, how can you poison a deal? How can you poison yourself as a firm? What are red lines for you? What if you always thought this we do not do? And maybe what do you do but know it's a bit dirty? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't think I've seen many, if any, really dirty tricks. Like, I mean, I've seen like competitive situations where, you know, VCs, we're trying to like take the whole round or too much of a round, not making space for, you know, friendly VCs or, you know, Credo in particular, you know, claiming that they need a certain ownership, which I knew was bullshit because they have taken less um, in the past. So, but I wouldn't necessarily call those dirty tricks. It was just, what they wanted to achieve in that particular deal. And I don't see anything like fundamentally wrong about that. I want to say we are trying to be very collaborative, but everybody says that. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I made myself laugh about that uh, you know, dirty, dirty PR trick of mine. <laughs> it's an important tr uh, feature, right, of being able to laugh about ourselves. <laughs> it's very healthy. Also, we add a lot of value, guys. You know? Yeah, let's do, let's do a 90-minute session just on, on value add from Credo. We do not follow hype trends, right? Never. <laughs> Never.
<laughs> Andre, on a, on a separate, different note, but building on that, you know, I'd love to ask you to share with us, you know, fun four. It's been uh, it's been a hell of a ride. I'm sure there's there's much more to to happen and and to come. What would you say have been the, um, the let's call it the first principles in, in in building the firm, or in, in maybe a, a funny wordplay here? What is the firm's credo? Funnily enough, the firm does not have a credo. <laughs> credo is a musical thing, uh, right? Am I not right in saying that it's something? Credo is belief. It's what belief. you believe in. Yeah. The core belief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes from Latin. That's and it's in Portuguese. That's why I know so well. <laughs> We use it still uh, at church right. and stuff. Useful. I've always tied it to credibility, but that's that's also no. It's a very it's a very deep belief that you hold very close to your values and and core. So listen, like we don't have like a formalized credo. What I would think is closest to that is you know what i've already also mentioned which is the founder um, centric approach you know to us this is all about founders we don't consider ourselves bankers or financiers or you know we don't actually don't tell them but we don't actually consider our lps our customers um to us The founders are the customers. Um, RLPs are just a tool. <laughs> Again, don't tell them. Um, and and so we've never formalized it because it was just so deep in the DNA of Credo since the beginning that we've never felt the need to actually, you know, put it in words. Back to what I what I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you know, I mentioned the Avast founders and the inspiration that they were for me. The inspiration was about what they've built and what they've achieved and how many people they've influenced on the way. It was never about money. I, you know, I don't think we've ever thought about how much they made in terms of you know how rich they became they did become pretty rich but it was never about the money the money was like a byproduct so already when we started credo as a firm it was never about getting rich or making money um, i think there are easier ways to you know, make money um, if it's the money that you're interested in. This was about backing smart people, innovative people, people who thought about something really good. That was the inspiration. Can I ask you, though, even though you don't have a credo, you do have firm building principles, I'm sure. Some that you would say these are the four principles. If you were oh, an emerging oh, manager. Actually, you know what? We might have a credo, I just forgot. But like when we were, when we created the first website, we decided instead of a menu that we would have, we support entrepreneurs. We was the about section, support was what we do, and entrepreneurs was the portfolio actually. And We designed it in this way because we believe just that. So I guess it's we support entrepreneurs. 
I have a funny story for you because uh, on that note, because Sequoia had that as well uh, on their website. We might have was... stolen it, yeah. <laughs> or the but other it, way around, who knows? <laughs> but it, 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 it brought me such a pain because I remember that my first job in, in venture, I, I was helping redesign the website. I was like, we're going to do this. And we were really struggling to find a really cool way to write it in a way where I would feel that my integrity wasn't challenged by the fact that I was knocking off Sequoia. So, so they brought me a lot of hardship just for that. So, okay, but we, we, we bag entrepreneurs. I like that one. So that's the credo of credo. Now, core firm building principles. Andre, we spoke at that uh, Q&A stage about how emerging managers should think about going in to build their firm. And now we just spoke about being in VC is a blood sport. And one of the things you said back then was, I slept under the tables in the beginning of Credo. If I should get you started on one core firm building belief, I think it's that that venture is built by passion or, and, and it's not something that you come to sleeping. <laughs> Definitely. There needs to be the, the passion for what they do. And again, it's been mentioned already, but because venture has such a long feedback loop, the results come, you know, years after people invest, you need the passion to, to actually survive, to stay, to, you know, to keep doing what you want to do. Um, so passion and hard work. There's a lot more hard work than then it probably seems um, at the conferences and TechCrunch articles and stuff, but there's a, there's a lot of hard work if, if, if people want to be successful. So I guess passion and hard work, what else? <laughs> what else? <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Andre, I want to take this to our shout out segment. In the shout-out segment, uh, I'd like to ask you to give a shout-out to a co-investor, an angel, or an LP for being awesome. And with as much detail as possible, of course, do share with us um, the story behind that awesomeness. There's a certain unfair advantage because we've just done so many co-investments um, with Seedcam. But if there's, uh, if there's one at least the one that comes to mind um, immediately, then it would be Reshma at Seedcam. I met Reshma sometime in 2008, 2009, so at the very beginning of, of Seedcam. I think we have become friends. Um, I invited Reshma into the advisory board of Credo early, early days. Um, so in 2010, we established an advisory board and Reshma accepted and, you know, they were, I think they were the first sort of Western European um, co-investor that, that we had in, in our investments, in our portfolio companies. And they have always been awesome, always trying to help. I also feel like Reshma was among the sort of Western investors she was one of the first ones, if not the first one, who paid attention to CEE. So, you know, I, I love Reshma. 
I've always loved working with Seedcam as a firm and with Reshma as a person. I think that's all I can say. And also, like, that was the reason. So um, UiPath Seed Round was Early Bird, Credo, and Seedcam. And we actually showed it to Seedcam. And the reason was that we always respected them and liked them as a co-investor. And Reshma saw the potential then and there, and she joined. So another reason to, to respect her. I want to ask you about a topic that I've really been looking forward to dive into, which is the next chapters for Credle. And in this also succession, because you are one of the few firms that have in Europe been around long enough to be really thoughtful on this point. So about next chapters at Credo. So we are currently at fund four. So next chapter will be fund five. And then the following will be fund six. Do you Oof. want me to continue? Yes, you, Can you explain that? That's too, that's too complex. Come on, <laughs> let's go slower. No, no, okay. then I, I, can, I, I can continue it. So fund four, 75 million. Fund five, because you've gone the opposite way. You're not growing. You're getting smaller. So the next one's going to be 50. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to end it with a with five million vehicle. <laughs> with the sizes, I'm, I'm not sure. The big picture here is, yes, we want to build a franchise. We want to build a brand that will be here when we're not. So, you know, the, the aim has always been to build Credo as a firm that will go through, you know, a succession. And I will, when I retire at the age of 80, if I'm still alive, I will be reading about the successes of Credo that I, you know, I, I didn't have anything to do with. So that's the plan. About the sizes of the funds, so I don't know about that. What I can tell you is that as long as I am with Credo, we will be raising funds that will of sizes that that make sense. We want to stay predominantly a seed fund and pre-seed fund. So we want to do the early, early stages, earliest stages of, of startups, because I feel like that's that's the DNA. That's what we do best. That's that's where we feel best. And that means that we will always be raising funds of sizes that just make sense. Currently, it's a 75 million fund. I can imagine, you know, if the inflation continues and, uh, you know, euro or dollar lose their value, we might, you know, the next fund might be, you know, 80 or 90 or 100 or not, or it will make more sense to raise a $60 million vehicle, Euro vehicle. I don't know that. I do know that we don't want to keep increasing, you know, the sizes of the funds just because we can raise, you know, more money. We don't want to do that. And I, I think we've proven that that's not the path that we're in. So that makes perfect sense, right? 
I'd love to ask you though, and, and just a note to everyone, I was looking just before for the exact episode. We put it, of course, in the show notes on eu.bc, but we have done an episode earlier with Andre and and a couple of others from the Engaged Conference, where we also spoke about this decision to uh, to, to not not grow fund size uh, just because uh, Credo could. So much more on that there if you want to. Now, Andre, I wanted to ask you because... Yes, that that's the next chapter for Credo makes sense. Fund five, six, seven. <laughs> but how do you think? So you said uh, I want to prepare, of course, the firm to go on and be handed down to the next generation, if you may put it like that. When we spoke to Stefan on the podcast uh, from Creandum, he said, "Well, I think about it as you have boutique investors and you have uh, firms, f- real firms, and then you have franchises, and when you're f- f- Trying to build for a franchise, then and then he he, he described some of his his thinking there. I love to ask you when you are building towards this franchise, what have been your key considerations in that building up talent? How do, how are you thinking about the, the requirements for you as a leadership inside the firm? I'm sure Stefan has has done a lot more thinking about this and is probably more structured around this than than I am. On our side, the process has kind of already started. So for Fund4, we brought in three new partners, two of GPs in Funds2 and 3 uh, actually left for, you know, for a bit different reasons, but... Uh, but it's been well communicated and it was a it was a friendly agreement so Jan and myself who were the two GPs that that stayed we brought in three new GPs internally we call them fresh blood we don't do that um, you know publicly but uh but that's actually what it's supposed to be they're um you know younger than us a little less experienced, but still, you know, pretty experienced. I think that summarizes our approach. So we want to work with younger GPs alongside us in Fund 4, most probably in Fund 5, maybe Fund 6. And then when we leave, I hope like nobody even notices because there will be continuity in the team. And then hopefully new GPs will join in 2040 and I won't even know them. So so nothing radical, nothing thought-provoking or <laughs> nothing really, really smart. Just, you know, a, a process. But there's a simplicity in, in not over-engineering it as well. And that's probably what, what I would get as a takeaway, as a listener of what you just said there. So I think it's cool. Let me ask you a different question. Uh, recently, you guys also came to market with a slightly different product. So if I remember correctly, it was a secondaries uh, fund. How does that, well, of course, do share with our listeners that they don't know what that is about, of course, but that's quite quickly explained. But, uh, but uh, how does it fit into what we're just talking about in building up uh, Credo? So we at Credo like to experiment. We always experiment with something. Um, we experimented with sending one GP over to Silicon Valley for 
you know, 18 months or 20 months, we, you know, decided to experiment with a talent partner as one of the first ones in the region and so forth and so forth. So, so we like to experiment. And one of our most recent experiments was this, you know, crossover fund, which you refer to. And the logic behind this um, was, well, first of all, this was an idea from inside the team. And we always like to listen to um, what even like the junior members of the team come up with as ideas. And the logic was, it's been a trend of the last couple of years that big hedge funds who were always doing like public investing or investing in public stock, they were coming down a little and they were doing also private investments pre-IPO and earlier. Like some of them went as low as seed, like think KOTU or you know, Dragoneer, yep. Tiger. So our logic was, we already do early stage. Why don't we try to use that experience and go up and start doing, you know, the late stage, you know, private or even like public. And the reason why we should, you know, try to do that is, we already research a lot of the late stage and public companies because when we invest in, you know, data observability, we go out and take a look at the universe, yeah. you know, being it private, public, whatever, and we try to understand the space. Second reason is on the way as an early stage investor, as our companies grow, they very often accept investments from the late stage guys. So we create relationship with those guys. And that's how we might get into deals that previously we didn't see when we started. And also we felt like, so we've never, we've never done SPVs for follow-ons for our prorata. We either took our parada or not. We never did any SPVs. We like simplicity. You, you guys might already know that about me. And so one last reason uh, was to actually have something to be able to do follow-ons in the most successful companies in our portfolio. So we created Credo Crossover One fund, which is small, which is $15 million as an experiment to try this out. And, you know, ask me in a year or two, the, <laughs> feedback, loop, the feedback loop here might be a little quicker, faster than, um, than in the early stages. But, you know, so far it seems like, uh, like the process at least works fine. Let's see. Let's see where it takes us. Let's see the outcome. Yeah. <laughs> Andre, uh, we are short on time now, but I cannot uh, refrain from asking something. As a firm that experiments, you're bound to fail. That's part of it, right? Can you share any failure uh, and or learnings associated to that um, that is worth uh, for other GPs listening in? There are just so many failures 
So one of our early experiments was we backed, basically funded, initiated and funded one of the first co-working spaces in Prague. And that was a really bad idea um, because co-working spaces in 2011 or 2012 just did not work economically. So, and, and they still don't look at WeWork, right? <laughs> so WeWork, WeWork is now worth $120 million. That's, that's insane after raising billion. Anyway, so that was one of the failures. We created this um, program, which I believe was called Starlift, that was supposed to seek internships at big tech, um, well-funded startups in the U.S. for, for you know, talented Czech people or Central, Central Europeans. That failed because the, you know, arrogant... Uh, Big techs and uh, well-funded startups just weren't interested in, in the interns. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I guess I could go on. Like, so many things have failed and will fail, but here's what you got to do. Thanks for sharing, Andre. I think it's, it's, it's great to, to also put some light on that and share, you know, it's, that testing just leads to failure in, in how you talk about it, right? I think it's also a, an important learning there, you know, test try quickly if you fail you fail fuck it next one let's let's keep on trying and iterating i think that's beautiful very much like building a startup and now on that note let's go into the quick fire round andre i'll ask you quick answer questions <laughs> and now the quick what advice would you give your 10 year younger self be patient, uh, work hard, work harder. And, uh, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, the results will come just a bit later than you than what you expected. What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are now fundraising? My top tip is don't do it. <laughs> Bad idea. Second tip would be be different, stand out. Nobody needs just another VC, you know, be something, build an expertise or, you know, have a unique insight, then you will raise and you will be successful. What's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned in your last 18 years or so in venture? Charisma can be taught. So don't get overexcited about charismatic founders. They sometimes maybe bad founders. So with that, Andre, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and everyone who's listening in. Thank you to you as well. Do make sure to follow the pod on eu.bc and hit us up with a review if you are enjoying it or think you have something great to say. And now some words from our beloved sponsor. Appiday is the leading all-in-one ESG platform for GPs. Central to Appiday's philosophy is that ESG for your portfolio companies must be relevant and value-adding, making you a partner to your companies, not adding more reporting burdens. Appiday offers AI-led ESG reporting, 
full SFDR compliance, including disclosure templates, EU taxonomy, carbon accounting, due diligence assessments, and most importantly, tangible tools to help your companies like ESG resources and policy templates. See why over 1,000 portfolio companies leading Article 9 funds and $100 billion of AUM trust Apide to manage ESG and sustainability across their ecosystem. Take a free product tour at apide.com or book a no obligations ESG VC strategy session with one of their experts. As 2023 draws to a close, join us for a landmark virtual roundtable with the true OGs of Europe on the evolution of European venture capital. Mark your calendars for this pivotal event on January the 29th. This is your exclusive opportunity to hear from some of our founding figures of the European VC scene. We're bringing together a panel of industry OGs to dissect the transformation, current trends, and the future of European venture capital. Yaron Valla, founder of Target Global, one of Europe's few firms that count the AUM in the billions, will enlighten us on the evolving VC landscape and the emerging challenges and opportunities. Chris Wade from Isom Capital, as one of Europe's true OG LPs, will dive into the intricacies of venture capital strategies in the changing economic climate. Kerry Baldwin of IQ Capital, as one of the most influential investors in European venture and early deep tech pioneers, will shed light on the tech-driven transformation of the venture sector, offering invaluable insights only few can give. Learn about the European VC history, current trends, strategies for success, and how European venture capital stands apart globally. This roundtable is a must for VCs, limited partners, and entrepreneurs alike. Don't miss the chance to hear from the best in class. Go to eu.vc, navigate to the events section and register to be a part of this transformative event. And also visit EUVC for more details and to secure your place in the future of European venture capital. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values. values. United and determined. We can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new new beginnings. Let's start acting. 